Well, good morning and welcome. I'm very glad that you're here. I know that every Sunday when you come here, everybody's got stuff. Uh, some people are thrilled about life and uh, just so excited about what's next for them. And on the other hand, there's people coming here with heavy-duty burdens and uh, they can barely talk because the grief in their heart's so so huge. And you got all that in the same room and you wonder how in the world you can connect. And the good news is that uh, you don't have to worry about that too much because we've invited the Holy Spirit here. The Word of God is here. His presence is among us and He does what He does uh, to meet each one of your joys and each one of your sorrows. So I'm glad you're here today. Um, this is the third in a series of messages called A Little More Like Jesus and A Little Less Like Me. Uh, it's, it's a wonder of Scripture. You, there's so many opportunities, so many stories to share about the life of Christ. You wonder which one, you know, typifies best, a little more like Jesus and a little less like me. But I chose one today from Matthew 18, and you probably are familiar with it. But I uh, start out by just telling you that a long time ago, um, Deb and I, lived in Centralia, Washington. We worked with the First Christian Church of Centralia, Washington, right out of college. And the church treasurer was a delightful senior citizen whose name was Denzel Steelhammer. Unforgettable name. Deb and I got a bunch of stories, but boy, you say Denzel and we just light up. Denzel Steelhammer. She lived just down the street and around the corner from us. And in those days, you, as one of the ministers of the church, we had to go down and pick up our paycheck, which was a great thing. It was kind of a pain at first, I thought, but she always had cookies, and she always had a story. And Denzel was such a delight, and Deb and I would go down there often and just sit and talk with her for an hour, and then move on with life, but... It was a cool thing. One of the problems in Denzel's life was that on either side of the two close houses were two sisters that lived who didn't talk to each other. They were members of our church, believe it or not. But they didn't talk to each other and hadn't talked to each other for over 20 years. And here was Denzel with this delightful personality and just a Willingness to help anybody arose between two thorns. And she needed therapy. And we found that when we came to pick up our paycheck, it was more about her just kind of unloading some things about her circumstance with these this crazy situation in her neighborhood. It was like a dark cloud hung over that those three or four houses right there all together. And you just wonder, uh, all both these sisters were senior citizens, you know? And you wonder, what happened? How could it be? How could they live with Denzel? live with Denzel in between them and never talked. When they wanted something to be known, they told Denzel, and Denzel told the other sister. And back and forth, it was like, where are we going? You know, it's just a ridiculous thing. How did that happen? Small things become big things. And big things become bitterness and unresolved conflict, right? Something small happened that turned into something big. 
Charles Swindoll in his book calls it graceless. To live in a graceless style. Philip Yancey calls it ungrace. Where you just have these stories of people who can't get along and can't forgive and are so bitter and so arrogant and so uh, standoffish that they would rather be in agony than resolve the conflict. Jesus told the shocking story of how to overcome ungrace in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start by just reading it to you. Uh, there's a lot leading up to this story. You could start with chapter 18 of Matthew verse 1 and read forward. I'm going to jump in at verse 21 and start right there, okay? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore the kingdom. I love it. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlements, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to pay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But, one of the biggest buts in the Bible, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours just because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, he handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. A lot to think about there. I just want to close it up and walk away and say, there, that. This is what's going to happen to you unless you forgive. Several years ago, the History Channel showed a series called The Hatfields and McCoys. There were two rival families. Maybe you saw it. Two rival families on the corner border of Kentucky and West Virginia. And it started with a hard feelings that occurred during the Civil War. When the parties came home from the war, there was a land dispute. Then one part of the family stole the pig from from the other family, it was said. And so there was revenge that had to take place. And then one act of revenge 
cause the other family to take a more serious act of revenge, and then another severe revenge. Back and forth it went, and it just continued to escalate. And each act of revenge was more outrageous than the one before. And I'm watching this on TV, and I'm going, what is wrong with these people? We're going to kill somebody over a stolen pig. I got to the point where I couldn't watch any more of it. Maybe some of you guys finished that, but I, I couldn't do it. No one had the capacity to humble themselves and show grace and and forgive. And that's how ungrace starts. It it starts out with a small spark and eventually it becomes a roaring fire. It's the time to talk about the pilgrims now here in November. And I remember reading about the pilgrims who came to America to escape persecution. Remember that story? They wanted to worship freely and they were hindered. And so they risk everything to come to this unknown land and start over. And they did. And we're proud of their bravery and their courage and their seeking of independence and freedom. It's a wonderful story. And everything went well until another group from England arrived. They were Quakers. And the Puritans, the pilgrims, didn't get along well with the Quakers. They came to Boston in 1656. And the same pilgrims who were now here established, they came here because of intolerance, seeking freedom to worship. These same people turned like a pack of wolves on the Quakers. They didn't like them. They accused them of witchcraft. Some were arrested and turned back, sent back to England. A, a book on U.S. history that I read said this. It said, a law was passed that if the Quakers continued to come to Massachusetts, they should have their ears cut off and their tongues bored through with a red-hot iron. What? You can always rely on Mark Twain for a good insight into ungrace and It was Mark Twain who said that he put a dog and a cat in a cage as an experiment to see if they could get along. And after a while, they did. So he pulled the dog and cat out and he put in a bird and a pig and a goat in the same cage. And it took a little while, but after a few adjustments, they got along fine too. He pulled them out. Then he put in a Baptist and a Presbyterian, and a Catholic. And he said, soon there wasn't one thing living left in the cage. (laughs) Uh, Graceless. Peter heard Jesus explain how far we should go to make things right in our relationships. Offering grace is being a little more like Jesus and a little less like me. I know, you see something going on and it hurts you and you have opportunity to say something and you don't understand and it bugs you and something needs to be said, somebody needs to be set right and a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. You probably know the story from the first part of Matthew chapter 18. Um, When you are offended, how do you handle it? When there's a chance for you to show ungrace, 
What should you do? You're hurt. The Bible teaches us that you go privately to that person that hurts you and talk it over with them. Of course, that's the last thing that we do. The second step then, if that doesn't work, is to take another person and talk with that person, kind of repeat the process with two people rather than one. Then if there's no change, you tell it to your church family, see if we can resolve it like that. If there is no change, no forgiveness, then the Scriptures teach us that we avoid that person. Just push them out for now. In the hopes that in time, humility and grace and repentance and forgiveness will happen and the relationship will be restored. That's how it's supposed to happen, according to Jesus. And the truth is, uh, we're not so good at that. Uh, we seldom take the first step. We, our first step is to tell somebody else about our grievance. And we inform people who aren't part of the problem or part of the solution. And uh, Peter heard this explanation of Jesus and he tried to come up with some formula from mathematics to, to, to see how far we should go in this kind of attitude. How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Which, if you think about it, is a pretty amazing statement by Peter. Something's rubbing off on him from Jesus. The rabbis of his time said that you should forgive three times. That's based on a passage of Scripture from Amos. Three times is good. Do it three times. So Peter was really gone the extra mile, extremely generous when he doubled that and added one. It's impressive. Seven times. Man, that's pretty good for this old fisherman, isn't it? I'm impressed with him. Until you hear Jesus' startling reply. Not seven times, but 77 times. And of course, there's manuscript differences there. Some manuscripts say 70 times, seven times. But it hardly matters if Jesus said 77 times or 490 times, does it? It doesn't matter. The forgiveness that he implied doesn't count numbers like an accountant counts numbers. It's not about that. Legalists like to count numbers. There, I did it. Now, my obligation is done. I've forgiven him 499 times. And I'm still mad at that sucker. No, that's, that's the point. Legalists like to count numbers. But Jesus honors this gracious heart. A little more like Jesus. A little less like me. This gracious heart. You know that uh, many famous stories start with once upon a time. But we like the Jesus stories that start with the kingdom of heaven is like. So when you guys are reading the life of Christ and you get to the part where it says the kingdom of heaven is like, slow down, read it carefully, think about it. It's just a different way to do life. Uh, The kingdom was Jesus' favorite subject and he tries to teach us how the kingdom of God operates almost completely different than the way we operate. This is what's valuable in the kingdom of God. Every day you decide, is it going to be my kingdom or the kingdom of God? What will reign in my life? So here's the story in one sentence. I found this statement from a guy who wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew. Chuanard is his last name. He said, 
I think it just summarizes one sentence. Those who embrace God as king must exhibit the same forgiving spirit towards others that God in his mercy has shown towards us. I wish I was smart enough to come up with that, but I had to copy that to share with you. That's it, isn't it? That's kingdom thinking. Well, the servant in the story was buried in debt. 10,000 talents was a ridiculous, unheard of number, actually. Jesus was exaggerating. Last week, Deb and I hung out with a family who has a boy at kindergarten age. We hadn't seen him for a couple of weeks. He hugged us and he said, You know how much I love you? I said, How much? He said, One billion. I said, Oh man, that's a lot. I'll take that. That's really cool. I love it. That's the highest number that he knows that he, and we don't know one billion very well, do we? But at least to say it, he knew that. For perspective, in this Bible story at this time, Judea paid taxes to Rome. Every year they owed taxes to Rome and they paid 300 talents a year. 300 talents. This guy owes 10,000. So it's a ridiculous amount. Of course, Jesus is deeper than us. He's gone further than us. He's not talking about credit card debt or auto loans. He's talking about our debt, the terminal condition of mankind. We're in debt to God and there's no hope of paying it off ever. This is how we are before Christ. We're terminal, we're hopeless. We are that guy, 10,000 talents in debt. You could sell your house, all your possessions, work the rest of your life, and never, ever pay your debt to God. Never could do it. Outside of Christ, this is your condition. And then verse 27 takes this sharp turn. It's just a, Jesus says it so nonchalantly, the master canceled the debt. It's incredible. Think of it. If you can think of it right now, if you are in debt in some way right now, and someone came along and just paid it off, your car loan, your student loan, your mortgage, your home equity loan, your medical bills. I know I sound like a commercial on TV, don't I? Something like that. Uh, All that paid off in full. I was looking at the national debt clock last Monday uh, in prep for this message today. It's changed a lot in a week, but last Monday the national debt was that number up there. Uh, I just say 28 trillion, and it's more than that now. They have a, a lot of numbers on the national debt clock, and some of the numbers are appalling. Like for every citizen, that's about $87,000 that you're in debt. Or if you're a tax paying citizen, it increases, of course, because you're the one carrying the load. You owe about $230,000 to cover your part of the debt. Kind of staggering, isn't it? Just those numbers are staggering. In God's get-out-of-debt-free plan, every dollar is paid in full by Jesus Christ. 
covered by the blood of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's taken your sins from you. And and many of you know the joy of having a debt paid. Isn't it a, a relief? It's a freeing thing. It's a wonderful thing. You just look forward to that day and it's finally come after all this. You finally paid it off. You want to celebrate? You want to go get an ice cream cone or something more radical? I don't know, but... The guy in this story does not celebrate the fact that his debt is paid off. It's kind of amazing. I mean, wouldn't you take just a minute to, you know, sit back and relax and say, thank you, thank you, thank you that I'm debt free. But no, this guy goes out immediately and hunts down a guy who owes him a hundred silver coins. That's equal to a hundred days work. Whatever you get per day, do a hundred times that, that's what he owed. It's a nice sum of money for sure. But consider this. It, one commentary says it takes between 6,000 and 10,000 days of work in those times, the denarii, day of work, to equal one talent. So you could work five days a week for the next 30 years and you might accumulate one talent. I dug out some old notes from a sermon that Jim Walker preached on this message, and he had a line in there that was pretty funny, pretty revealing. He said, this might be the meanest man in the Bible. This guy in this story, he, he just might be the one. He is brutal, and he is cold, and he is heartless. He is impatient. He's unreasonable. He's ungrateful. All of the above. He insisted his fellow servant be thrown into prison until his debt is paid. And you're going, the people hearing this must say, what are you talking about? What kind of guy is this that would behave like that? And of course, Jesus' point is to put you in the story and ask, do you see yourself in this story? The Lord has forgiven you so much. You're free. And you're holding this against somebody What is it you're holding against them? Nothing has been done to you that comes close to what you've done to God. Think about that. I know it hurts. Perhaps it's undeserved. Perhaps it happened a long time ago and you're still hurting over it. Still bothered by it. 20 years, Denzel lived between those two sisters that could not talk to each other, could not resolve it. Walk down the sidewalk, go up on the front porch, knock on the door and say, we need to talk. After 20 years, we need to talk. Yet, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Out of the pit, He has made us alive in Christ. He's raised us up. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. I'm the one who's been forgiven much. I'm the one who's tasted grace, but at times I'm the one who lives in ungrace. Shame on me. Perhaps these words have come out of your mouth, but how dare you say these words? I will never forgive that person as long as I live. I will never talk to that person for the rest of my life. Our friendship ended on the day that happened. And so we become the Hatfield and McCoy clan. We avoid. We talk down. 
we seek revenge. We carry on this silent feud and uh, weddings and funerals and holidays are awkward because they show up and you're in the room with them and it's very ugly. And it makes us very ugly. Ungrace. Ungrace makes us a lot less like Jesus and a lot more like the old me. So Jesus in verse 33 said, Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So a forgiving spirit is fundamental to being a little more like Jesus and a lot less like me. It's amazing. It's humbling, you guys, to think about this. Uh, for some reason, God has chosen to stake His reputation on us. <laughs> Gulp. It's on me to represent you. We're to be carriers of His grace. It starts with our ability to get along, to, to forgive. And remember that part of the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Probably, you probably prayed that prayer thousands of times by now in your life. A little more like Jesus. A little less like me. I wanted to share this story of grace with you. Maybe you've heard it before. It comes from Philip Yancey's uh, book called What's So Amazing About Grace. He tells this story. Uh, it's the story of Germany and Israel that should be enemies forever because their history is filled with you know, tragedy and bitterness. You'll probably remember that after World War II, Germany was split in two because of their barbaric ways. The country was split in two, East and West Germany. And in the 1990s, Germany was attempting to reunite as a country. And for their first official act, the new parliament of Germany voted on this incredible statement. I put it up on the board for you to read along with me. It's a pretty amazing statement. We, the first freely elected parliamentarians of the German Democratic Republic, on behalf of the citizens of this land, admit responsibility for the humiliation, expulsion, and murder of Jewish men, women, and children. We feel sorrow and shame and acknowledge this burden of German history. Immeasurable suffering was inflicted on the peoples of the world during the era of National Socialism. We ask all Jews of the world to forgive us. We ask the people of Israel to forgive us for the hypocrisy of official East German policies towards Israel. For 50 years, those two nations, the two divided German nations, would not admit, would not acknowledge, would not confess any part of the Holocaust. Now, by some amazing grace, this statement passed unanimously. Can you imagine unanimously? Members of the parliament rose to their feet in a long ovation. 
And then they ask for a few minutes of silence, bow their head in repentance, remembering those who were lost. It was a huge step for a government that for 50 years denied any need of repenting from anything. And so it's amazing now. You know, today, uh, one of Israel's best trading partners is Germany. That's amazing grace. Uh, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. I read another story recently about a guy named Adam Brown who was a Navy SEAL operator at the highest level. He was a legend among the SEAL teams because of his valor and his attitude. He was a warrior and he was a teammate. And unfortunately, he was killed in action March 17, 2010 in Afghanistan. His SEAL teammates accompanied his body home to Arkansas for the moving funeral. People came from all over to Hot Springs, Arkansas. They buried him in that town. And after the burial, strangers walked up to the SEALs and thanked them for their service. All these Navy SEALs who came to bury their comrade. One lady thanked one of the SEALs for their service, and he asked, how was it that you happened to know Adam Brown? And she said, "Uh, well, we went to high school together. The guy said, there must be more to the story than that. And she said, yeah, there is. She said, it's really a simple thing. But uh, when I was a freshman in high school, we moved to this town. I had very few friends. I was an awkward freshman in, in high school. It had no confidence. I went to a high school dance and kind of stood around, not really fitting in, didn't belong anywhere to any group. And a guy named Adam Brown saw me standing by myself. And he came over and he asked me if he could dance with me. She said, that changed everything. Everything about me changed because he noticed. I tell you guys, it's a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Some small act like that can make a huge difference. One of the classic books of all times is uh, Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress. It was written by John Bunyan. While he was in prison, he wrote the book as a story for his own children so they could understand the grace of God. And he was put in prison because he was holding unauthorized church services without permission of the Church of England at the time. So he spent many years in prison writing this story for his children, a children's story, and so they could understand. And John Bunyan, probably you've, some of you have read it or at least know part of it, the lead story, the lead character in the story is a person named Christian. And as the story begins, the porters ask, what is your name? And the guy replies, my name is Christian, but my name at first 
was graceless. What a change. How appropriate is that? So I think today as we get ready to close this, Joy, I can invite you guys to come back up. One of the things we probably need to do privately where you're seated is just admit that we've been very quick to receive the grace of God and maybe very slow to extend it to others. We used to have a term around here called EGR. When there was a really tough circumstance that came up, uh, EGR. And uh, didn't know how to handle it. Very difficult personalities. EGR, we kept hearing. What is it? Extra grace required. <laughs> Extra grace required. I expect uh, by some of the things you've heard this morning, the Holy Spirit has convicted you in your mind right now of whom, uh, to whom you need to set things straight. Um, maybe it's been eating at you. It's like scar tissue causing all kinds of trouble. Uh, you know what you need to do. You just haven't pulled the trigger. And I, I would just say forgiveness sets the prisoner free. And guess what? The prisoner is you. So learn from the best example in history. As I think about this, I said, well, how could you end this? How could you end this message? And you think, oh man, what's the greatest example of forgiveness? Well, the Lord on the cross, looking down at those who, who put him on the cross, who orchestrated his trial and crucified him, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. So He has offered you amnesty. Anything you've ever done can be forgiven. And once you receive this grace, the deal is, you pass it on to other people. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. That sounds like something you're interested in. If you haven't been forgiven, I know how that happens. The Lord does it. I'd love to talk with you about it. A whole bunch of us would. But if you'd like to make a decision this morning, we'd be happy to meet you down here. Uh, the Scriptures say, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. You can have it all done. And then you can start experiencing this grace.